You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that we talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that. And you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this... Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. The Bible says when Jesus held up that bread on that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who have never studied Greek but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts, pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss, and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, all right, I have made my way back down to Wichita, Kansas, to meet with Pastor Lovett, who is here this time. Pastor Lovett, you weren't here last time, and we are together with Pastor Boyle. What we're doing today, gentlemen, is listening to some sermons that focus on Easter. You guys and myself, we just got through celebrating Easter 2022. And if you were just to boil it all down, I mean, what would you say is the message of Easter? Christ, Christ has been risen. raised from the dead. Hallelujah. <laughs> Why is it that so many in the world of American evangelicalism, they're going to acknowledge that, they're going to tip their hat to that, but uh, they just can't get around to staying on target? Why do you think that is? I don't think they understand the resurrection and what it actually means. I don't know if any of us do, but at least we want to pursue that. And we see that as the center of the entire faith. So there's no getting around it or going beyond it or that being a start. That is the thing. That's where we came from, where we're going to. And so if that's not the center, then you're missing something that is vital. Yeah, it sounds good, Pastor Boyle, but what about Jesus resurrecting your dreams? I mean, isn't that what Easter points us to, resurrecting your dreams or resurrecting your failing marriage or maybe even stale marriage? I mean, where do those messages come in? So there's a tendency among evangelicals to make Christ a metaphor. Everything is a metaphor for their own life because they have put themselves at the center of all things. But if Christ is in the center, then he's not a metaphor, and you can't escape the reality of the Son of Mary, who is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Well, I think one of the things that drives me absolutely insane, and it probably does you too, is when you hear some political head, some analyst, something on television that's usually on a news broadcast, uh, when they start speaking in theological terms. 
I heard one this week and I wanted you to hear it as well. Did it over the Easter holidays and the Easter holidays, the entire message of the gospels of the Easter holidays was love one another. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. If Jesus Christ was alive today, he would be called a groomer. He would be called woke and he would be called a socialist if he was alive today. If he was speaking the message he spoke in the gospels today about treating everybody with dignity, Jesus Christ hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors. He was nailed to a cross because he spoke on behalf of the most marginalized people in the Middle East. And the idea that certain segment of our population has tried to capture the faith and corrupt a message that I may have been a follower of since I was baptized and went was confirmed and served on the altar in the course of this is something I think all of us, it's not just people of faith, but all of us. All right. So that, that's the thing that just got me right there. I mean, the message of Easter is is love. It's to love one another, right? You, you know, the biggest problem with what he said was not any of the, the woke bit or the grooming bit or any of that. It was if Jesus Christ were alive today. <laughs> amen. Yeah. that That's where he missed the boat entirely. Yeah. Amen. But what do you got to say regarding Easter as being the message of loving one another? Well, this, this is the point is that has to be the message or at least one of the messages if Jesus Christ is not alive today. If Easter didn't happen, that is, if he didn't rise from the dead never to die again, then we do need to find something else anything else. And the closest thing we have is our neighbor beyond that. And so we pour everything into the love of our neighbor. Yeah, what he's done is, in effect, done what a lot of people do when a loved one has died. And they say he lives on in us. And let's do this or that to honor his memory. But they certainly don't consider their loved one to have risen from the dead. And Father Jeff is spot on. That was a glaring oversight on his part, if not an out-and-out admission of what he actually believes, despite himself. And let me just say, I mean, this happens on the left and on the right when some commentator starts talking about theological things. One of the ones that drives me up the wall is when I hear Sean Hannity say something like, let not your heart be troubled. That's usually how he used to on the radio sign off. He would say, let not your heart be troubled. And I always would think to myself, you know, screaming at uh, in my head, you know, finish the verse. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you let not your heart be troubled? Believe in God, believe also in me. Amen. Yeah, Amen. And so these guys, uh, I guess the, the theme is uh, this little segment, don't get your theological understanding from political commentators or analysts. But even then, I wouldn't even say that the pulpit sometimes is a safe place to get your correct theological understanding is it unfortunately if if you start with a presupposition that jesus christ is not still alive then even from the pulpit you're not going to hear anything different well let's take a listen to this one pastor who preaches this past easter can you imagine these two ladies as they went to the tomb that morning they were discouraged. They were in despair. They were mourning the loss. And they get to the tomb and they see the the stone that is rolled away and they were 
probably perplexed at that and they, they saw the tomb, the angel spoke to them and they, they experienced the, the revelation that Jesus was not dead but he is now alive. No wonder they were filled with joy. This is so different than where they were on Friday. Friday they were in pain and they were mourning Saturday. But Sunday came. The resurrection changed everything for these ladies. Now I was pondering though the, the moment that they went to the house to find those disciples. What about those disciples who didn't go to the tomb that day? What about those guys that that didn't rush out to see. They, they were hiding in a house. They were living in fear in that moment and they were, they were trapped there in their fear. And imagine this moment when the ladies, they go to tell them. And you know, the Bible says that one of them went there and, and I assume that she was so excited. She probably ran you know, the, the, the half mile in record speed. Wouldn't you though, if you had just experienced Jesus? I don't know, her, her feet probably didn't touch the ground and she couldn't wait to go tell the great news. I just assumed that when she got to the house, she was banging on the door. It probably wasn't a polite little knock knock. It was like, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. I have the greatest news to tell you. She had to be excited. The Bible says that in Mark 16, she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, and she told them what had happened. Mark 16. He is very selectively reading from this, because this is one of the best accounts of the resurrection, where rather than her excitement pouring through, here's what the text actually says right before that. Right after the angel says, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then let's hear what the women actually did. They went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. That won't preach in this guy's church. It doesn't fit his narrative. It doesn't fit the excitement because Easter has to be this excitement. It has to be this overflowing joy, this running down to the door, knocking, not just a polite little tap, but banging down the door. What the text says is they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Now, talk about picking and choosing your verses to get a narrative across. And what about grasping all of the reality of the people that also know this resurrection, you, you and me, and, and yet how often is it true that we also are terrified to say anything about it? The Bible actually has something for you there, but not this guy. It has to be all sunshine, butterflies, and unicorns. Don't forget unicorns, unicorns or rainbows. I was thinking Easter eggs and bunnies. <laughs> now I want you to notice for a moment the contrast between Mary and these disciples. Now I have to say this is his, this is where he's going with this sermon. 
Oh, he, yeah. He's can, contrasting these two. You can feel it coming. Between the joy of the women and the somber nature and the defeatism of the men. So she is so excited. She is full of joy, it says, yet they are weeping and mourning. It was Sunday for Mary, but for the disciples, they were still in a Friday mindset. They were still in Friday morning. She had experienced the joy of his resurrection. She was seeing life through the lens though of hope and anticipation and joy. Everything had changed for her. It was Sunday for her. It was also Sunday for the disciples, but they are yet to believe. They are yet to experience that. It was Sunday for them, but they were still seeing life through the lens of darkness and heaviness and defeat. They are not experiencing this resurrection of Jesus. What a contrast. Same room. I mean, have you ever been in a room where someone's sad and someone's happy? You might want to tell somebody, read the room, you know, like, you know, check out. Somebody's not feeling so good. Listen, she wasn't reading the room. She was defining the room. She was like, you boys need to know something. Y'all missed out. You should have gone to the tomb. Lazy guys, you know, sometimes the women have to step out, I'll tell you. She was excited, same room, same day, same Sunday. She was excited and they were weeping. She had experienced it, they hadn't. You know, it reminds me of our world today where there is a group of people who have experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they live with joy that goes beyond the current culture. The joy that goes beyond what we see in the news. You see, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have hope, you have anticipation, you believe in the promise, you believe in miracles. And that group of people that have experienced it, we view the world in a different way. We may watch the news and we may say, man, it's messed up. Up, but we also believe our God can still do something because we believe in resurrection power. There's a group of people that live with such joy in spite of circumstances. Now, I'm not saying you won't go through difficult times in life, but what I'm saying is that when you do, you have something to hold on to. You have the resurrection, the power, the promise, the possibility of a God who heals, a God who sets free. He was really excited about that alliteration. The power, the promise, the possibility. <laughs> he worked on that line. Well, or somebody else did. Somebody, somebody, else, else, did. somebody else worked on that line, and he just uh, skeeched it and uh, preached it himself. So for Lutherans, we, we operate with this way of thinking of the simul justus et peccator, where we are at the same time saints— Believers in the power of the resurrection and also sinners that don't and, and struggle. And this sermon is seeming to set those two no longer within the same person, but two groups of people, those that are really enlightened and those who have not yet experienced it as such. You are exactly right, and uh, you already know where this is going. Uh, what is fascinating is, and I don't know if uh, you've got the patience, uh, either of you have I the don't. patience. I don't. I will tell you right now, I don't. <laughs> I, 
Yeah. I've uh, been stunned into silence. Uh, it, well, hear me out. At the end of this sermon, he will say something to the extent of, for those of you who have this resurrection power, then good on you. But for those of you who don't, I'm going to uh, lead you in a prayer right now that will help you to do so. So you just told us and we still have to listen to it? Yes. <laughs> There's another group of people, though, like those disciples who haven't believed yet. And they're living in depression. They're watching the news and feeling defeated. They're, they're seeing the, the, the pressures of the world, the stresses of their day. The, they're living in, in, in an alternate world than those who believe. Same world, different view, different perspective. And you can choose what you see. Some people see life through the lens of Friday's defeat and others see life through Sunday's victory. But I have good news for you today, church. I have great news for you today and I need you to hear me. I'm, I'm really hoping his good news is that for both of you, those that have it, those that don't, Jesus died and rose no, for all of you. No. No, and no, and no. his resurrection raises all of you. No, no, and, no, no, no. <laughs> Friday has come and gone. Friday is over and Sunday is here and Jesus is alive. Well, that's that good. Amen to that. Is our perspective. That is what we believe. That is what you can believe. Your perspective is a Sunday perspective and you can be filled with hope and you can be filled with promise. You can be filled with joy because none of that depends on what's going on around you. It all depends on who you believe in and what you believe. And his name is Jesus and the stone has been rolled away and the two Marys saw it. They experienced it. They were filled with joy. Your promise is is in that empty tomb. If you believe in the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, then that shapes the way you see life. That shapes the way you approach your day. Because if God can raise Christ from the dead, then your faith is real. It's all true. If God can raise Christ from the dead, then you know he can heal your body of sickness. If Christ is raised from the dead, then you know he can restore a struggling marriage. If Christ is raised from the dead, then you know he can set you free from addiction. If Christ is raised from the dead, he can turn a nation back to him. If Christ is raised from the dead, then he can move a mountain of problems in your life. Yeah, but what if he doesn't? Did you notice, though, that there was a switch? Yes, uh, there was. It, at first, it was, if Christ can, if Christ can, then, then it's like it clicked in his head, thankfully, rightly, if Christ is raised from the dead. Because that's, that's really where where the rubber hits the road. If he is raised from the dead, then yes, everything is set aright. If Christ can be raised from the dead, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily do anything. 
it's all potential. It's not reality. But even in that, he still has the basic hermeneutic of happy versus sad, Mm -hmm. of depressed versus joyful. And uh, that is a dangerous hermeneutic because Christians can be sad and still fully believe in, confess, and wait for the culmination of the resurrection on the last day. And Christians who have that exact same mindset, Pastor Lovett, as you know, they can still have a mountain of trouble. And they can still have a bad marriage, and they still right. can have illness and deal right. with that burden all of their lives. So there's something, even with the last guy we listened to, and this guy, both of them have a, a well, a, a Joel Olstein best life now. There's no room for the fear of martyrdom now. I think the martyrs were often not afraid, but often martyrs are afraid. Uh, especially leading up to the martyrdom, perhaps in the moment, um, not so much, but leading up to it, the ability to simply say this is the way it is and be at peace with that is an inhuman ability that our Lord certainly can give to us. But there's n- no promise of, of not being sad or, or as a Father Jeff said uh, in the Similiusus et Peccator, of the sinful side of us, the sinful flesh, yearning only for the restoration of the flesh in this life. There isn't anything that God can't do if you believe that God has raised Christ from the dead. You know, you can choose your outlook every day. You have a choice. You have a choice of what you're going to see, how you're going to see it, and how you're going to go through your day. You can choose your outlook. You can choose your perspective. Listen, you can be a Friday Christian or you can be a Sunday Christian. It's up to you. You can, you can wake up every day and see life through Friday. You can be like, well, it's another bad day. You can focus on the inflation. You can focus on everything else. You can get, your, you can get yourself in a, you know, in a bind in a hurry. If you're a Friday Christian, you can be depressed. You can be glass half empty. Uh, On a side note, why do preachers think they have to give so many examples? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be this. You can be that. Maybe you're this. Maybe this. I've got to hit everyone in the room without actually talking about anything that actually might be going on in the room. Maybe you have a beard. Maybe you have a mustache. Maybe maybe you have a beard and a mustache. (laughs) Maybe Maybe you're left-handed. Maybe you're right-handed. Maybe you have no hands. Maybe you wanted to be taller and you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Why do preachers have to give so many examples? Get to the point. And I've heard, uh, and in all fairness, I have heard many, many uh, evangelical sermons that do that. But I've, I have heard some Lutheran guys do the exact same oh, thing. Oh, I, I think it's endemic of all all denominations. I think preachers just need to do it. Perhaps it's because we think we've got to fill some level of time. And it also helps build the emotive receptiveness of the ultimate final message. If you choose to live like it's Friday and you believe everything's falling apart, life is depressing, problems are bigger than your hope, you feel defeated, you can feel discouraged, and you can believe that Jesus can't help you. Or you can be a Sunday Christian. You can be a Sunday person. You can be a resurrection person. Going back to this dichotomy of Friday, Sunday, for him, what is the death of Jesus? Because it seems as though the death of Jesus is only sadness, despair, 
fear, right. entrapment to your problems, whatever they may be, as opposed to seeing what Easter proclaims is that by his death, he has trampled down death. That in this Friday message, we actually have the atonement for all of humanity. And I'm going to guess that's nowhere going to be on here because Friday is only working under this doom and despair as opposed to now through the resurrection, seeing this Friday for what it actually is, which is the death of sin, death, devil for us. So to your point, Pastor, I mean, this is the Romans... Romans 4.25, where it says that he was delivered up for our transgressions and he was raised for our justification. That That is nowhere in this sermon. I mean, I, I realize we're jumping ahead in it, but uh, it's not like he touches on it at all. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. He bears all of our iniquities. He, he is the one that carries all of those sorrows. He's the one that in his death, he actually wins the victory. So we glory in the cross of Christ. Because without the cross, there isn't a resurrection. Now, I don't, you don't want to get a hierarchy going, but he certainly has a hierarchy. And he has a point of saying the cross was terrible, but now the cross is done. He said something earlier that your promise is in the empty tomb. The promise is at the right hand of the Father. But the, it's the same sort of theology that empties crosses of the corpus saying, well, now it's an empty cross. But an empty cross is a powerless cross. Amen. That's funny, you know, coming from the Southern Baptist world, and you know this too, Pastor Lovett, coming from the same place. We have a real problem in the Southern Baptist church with, uh, with, uh, with a corpus on the cross, but we have no problem with a, with a body, actually a, a little baby in the manger, do we? Well, and you know, the, the crosses often have IHS or Jesus' name on there, and that's not an empty cross. That's his name on the cross. That's branding the cross with Christ. So for all the people who think, well, we have an empty cross because Jesus is risen, if they have an IHS or another variation of the name of Jesus on it, they don't have the depiction of the body, but Jesus is still on the cross even in those. Although I would say having the depiction of the body is much better if for no other reason than the instruction in the faith of our children. Amen. Well, that is the tree of life, is it not? Amen. And the fruit that comes forth from that tree of life, we are told to, to eat, and it is the body and blood of Christ. Let's get back to this guy. You can see life, you can live life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday where every day is full of hope, potential, promise, and possibility. And you can believe that Jesus can help you through every situation in life. You can choose it. You can choose to live a Friday life or a Sunday life. But as for me and my household, Harriet and I, we're choosing Sunday. We want to choose to live a life of joy. Not because everything is great, but we choose a resurrection Sunday. We live from a place of joy, a place of hope, a place of promise. I choose Sunday. I choose joy. I choose hope. I choose to believe in the power of God. 
you know, there's somehow okayness and all of that, but why is this emphasis on choosing this? I mean, it's up to you, isn't it? Well, not only is it up to you and you have decision theology just riddled in this, but you have the um, prosperity doctrine in all of this. You get to choose. And of course, he has to throw in, not because everything is okay, because he doesn't want to logically right. follow his own theology, right. which is Christ is risen, therefore everything ought be okay. Well, everything is not okay, but Christ is risen. So why does he have to constantly choose this positive mental outlook? It's disingenuous. It's, a, it's also making it so that joy is only when suffering is gone, as opposed to seeing joy in suffering, joy in, well, even we are free, we might say, to live unfulfilled lives. We might not do all that we dreamed of doing or having our, our life, our family situation, whatever it is, set exactly the way we, we hoped it would be. What we have in the resurrection is all of this restored in Christ. Well, let me jump forward to just, I want you to hear just the beginning portion. To the end? No, well, yeah. <laughs> Where he prays. How many Sunday Christians we have in here? Come on. How many Sunday Christians do we have in the house? <laughs> you believe in the resurrection? Are you part of that tribe? Are you part of the gang that says, I believe all things are possible? Are you part of that? Well, listen, maybe you're here and you aren't that yet. Maybe you came to church, someone invited you and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to figure some of this out. I'm not even sure what it's all about. And I wanna help you move from Friday to Sunday. I wanna help you become a believer, a follower in Jesus Christ. On the screen are a couple thoughts for us. Now, uh, I'll just, I know, I know because you're so riveted by this sermon, uh, he's got what he's going to say here on the screen, and I'll just read it for us. He says, first, you are loved by God. Second, man is sinful and separated from God. Third, Christ died as a payment for our sins. And then finally, accept God's gift of eternal life by faith. The four spiritual laws. There it is. I know. Now, just to remind our listeners, you were in the evangelical world during your college days, and I'm sure that you were steeped in how to lead somebody to Christ through, you know, this method of these four spiritual laws. So, uh, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that he has turned the resurrection from being a bodily force, a bodily presence, a bodily reality to a formula that if you follow the formula right, then you get the right result. And it's on you to, to accept these four spiritual laws, as they're often called, and then you can experience the resurrection, he'll say. Right. The, the problem is, faith isn't a formula. Faith is a being brought into Christ. And so, yes, it's a trust. Yes, there's a new will that's created. Yes, there's a new identity with the Father through the Son. But it's not a formula, and it's not a, a mere decision. It is 
a reality brought about by Christ coming to you. That That is entirely missed here. The music doesn't help either. Oh, I know you like that. All right, so what we're <laughs> going to do is we're going to transition from that. I mean, okay, so, so clearly I think what you both would say is that this Yahoo has completely missed the mark when it comes to preaching the resurrection of our Lord. True or false? True. Because if he simply, as he's presenting these four spiritual laws, if any of you who do not yet have this resurrection joy, if you're just here for who knows, trying to figure it out, all you need to do is make a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and then you too can have this resurrection joy, and nothing goes wrong for you then. Life is good, all of a sudden your your marriage that's about to split apart now is put all back together. Your your children are no longer smoking pot or doing whatever it is they're doing in their waywardness. If you just accept Jesus Christ, then everything is better. And if it's not, you can go to camp and rededicate yourself. All right, we're going to go to another pastor here, and we're going to listen to him. Now, I would say, in his defense, this is not his Easter sermon. He's not posted his Easter sermon as of yet, but he's working up to it, and he talks a lot about it, so we're going to let this pass for his Easter sermon. Well, on that real quickly, I remember it was a number of years ago, I had a personal trainer at the YMCA. It was great. I was doing much better about my health at that point. But he found out that I was a pastor, and, and as we're you know, working at it, it's Lent, and, and he said something like, how do you spend so much time on Easter every week leading up to it, and then it's just there and gone? For him, he had no sense of a church year, for sure. He had no sense of a, a preparation that is of fasting and of almsgiving and prayer and repentance, nor did he have any sense that Easter is always being preached and that the depths of the resurrection can never be uh, reached or understood in such a way that then you move on. For him, it was, how do you just spend all that much time? Shouldn't you just do it once a year and then be done with it? So this idea of this not being his resurrection or easter sermon he's got to some he knows it's coming and he's got to somehow be wetting the appetites of his people well golly pastor Boyle, you just did it again that is exactly what he's doing he is building up to this but he's not well i'll just let you listen to him well this episode of the pluck chicken podcast is brought to you by wittenberg digital Wittenberg Digital provides website construction, website hosting, and podcast hosting for the confessional community. With websites that are easy to put together, easy to use, and manage content, and that provide high availability of that content to your users without the need and the oversight of big tech. Several big tech companies have removed religious content from their platforms and servers and continues to push that agenda. Wittenberg Digital was built by liturgical and confessional nerds dedicated to keeping the digital face of Lutheranism alive as long as possible. So, if you're interested in doing something with your website 
encourage you to check out Wittenberg Digital at wittenbergdigital.com, where they are keeping the Lutheran voice online. Why don't we start off with this simple fact, and the fact is this. Miracles are supposed to be a part, a normal part of life. Miracles are supposed to be a normal part of life. I don't know if you understand that. I, I, I get it. There's major denominations right now that are, that are actively teaching with great force that miracles have ceased. That the, the last miracle that you'll see is in Acts, and after the book of Acts, it all just ends. Just as a side note, I'll bet you he would deny every modern Roman Catholic miracle as mere superstition, certainly ancient ones. Miracles are supposed to be a real part of life if they deal with addiction, fornication, pornography, and perhaps debt. But other than that, there's no miracles. That's a great point. I know. (laughs) Wasn't that great? But I'm here to tell you, based upon Scripture, based upon the authority of God's Word, based upon Jesus' words, that miracles are supposed to be a normal part of life. Notice what Jesus says in John 14, 12. He says, I tell you the truth. By the way, anytime he tells you that, anytime he starts with that, he's, that, that means he's getting ready to say something that you don't want to believe. Okay? So anytime you see Jesus say, I'll tell you the truth, he's trying to say, hey, pay attention. This is something that you're going to stumble over. This is something that you're going to struggle with. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me, He's talking about Christians, talking about someone who has surrendered control of their life and has become a part of Jesus. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Let's talk about that. This is a man who walked on water. This is a man who fed 5,000. This was a man that healed the blind. This was the man that did incredible miracles that turned the world upside down. But he doesn't just stop there. So just saying that would have been bad enough. Would have been hard enough for us to swallow, hard enough for us to believe. But notice what he says. He says, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. What does that last part mean? What does it mean for him saying, I'm going to be with the Father? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of the Father and he is praying for you and he's praying for me. He's interceding on our behalf. Now think about it. Think about what that is, what that means. Do you think Jesus ever prays anything outside of the will of God? Jesus has a 100% answer rate when it comes to his prayers. That every time Jesus prays, the Father God answers. Why? Because he's in the will of God. And so we have got Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father praying for us. And what is he praying? He's saying that he's praying that we will do the same works he's done and even greater works. And so do you understand now why I say miracles are supposed to be a normal part of life? Is that what that verse is teaching us? No. I know this is not his Easter sermon, because unlike the other guy, he's not wearing a a suit jacket, which I'm sure the other guy only did for Easter. (laughs) Two, he has a less annoying voice than the other guy. He actually sounds like a less obnoxious evangelical. Three, these greater works than, than his or than these that they have seen is not an issue of your 
triumph over your addiction or your despair or your fear, whatever it is. Nor are they the miracles that we see of these. It, it is going to be interesting to see how he actually sees our greater works than these that we do. And yet, these greater works are works that are then filled with the Spirit that proceeds from him as he sits at the right hand of the Father. You see, Jesus is revealing to us, if he's trying to let us know, he's trying to show us if we are truly living. You see, to truly live, to live the life that God created you to have, will be marked by miracles. Miracles will be a normal part of your life. What Jesus is doing there, he's really defining what he meant in John 10.10, when he says, I have come in order that you might have life, and life in all of its fullness. This is always a verse that always gets me, you know, we would normally quote the verse that says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. And we always think, going back to the first sermon and the things that you guys said there, it always points to the temporal. We don't think in terms of abundant life being eternal life. The other thing, he started this whole thing off with that little hermeneutic, if you hear Jesus say, truly I say to you, or, sure. or, or something along those lines. I have an, a suspicion that... Where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Or, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born of water and the Spirit. That's exactly what I was going to say, is there will be no mention of the miracles of God through his church in the blessed sacraments. It's all of the miracles are merely subjective miracles for my own personal doings day in and day out. I mean, isn't it a miracle that I, who was born and dead in my trespasses, have been reborn by the water of God and the Holy Spirit of God, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the church through the font? Well, no, that that's not the miracle we're talking about. The miracle we're talking about is your ability to get over addiction or to not be depressed at the news that is happening in the world. That's that's the real miracle for this preacher. Absolutely. For this and, theology. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, wonderful thoughts there. I mean, for an Easter message, we would say that the miracle is, I don't have to be afraid of death because Christ Jesus is the firstborn of those who have been raised from the dead. He goes first, and where he goes, we go. And that's because you have your life to its fullness through the waters of holy baptism, through your eating and drinking of the body and blood of Jesus, where where sins are forgiven. Which, are all, which all of that is miraculous. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the whole thing is miraculous. For us to have life, and life in all of its fullness, some of the older translations say abundant life. Abundant lives include miracles. Miracles are a part of the abundant life. And what Jesus is doing, and, and I get it, I hope you understand what he's doing right now. He's confirming that which you've already figured out. You see, many of you, you walked in here. The reason why you're here today is because you have this nagging sense that you are missing something. You've been a Christian for a while. You've given your heart and your life to Christ. And you sense deep down at your core that maybe, just maybe, I am missing something. And you know what Jesus is saying to you this morning? Yes, you are. 
Maybe it's because uh, you're a Friday Christian. That, that's my thought. You're, you're a Friday Christian and not a Sunday Christian. I mean, if we take the example from the previous Yahoo. Yeah, perhaps so. My, I'm, I immediately thought that I left the church when I left high school, not angrily or rejecting anything about morality or whatnot, but it was exactly what this guy was saying. The church was there for those who needed something, and once you don't need that thing, then this is no longer for you. He, he's giving a whole battery of excuses for people as to why they don't attend the gathering of God and participate in the miracle of the life of Christ through the sacraments. Because the reason you're here is maybe you know something is missing. Well, maybe you're totally unaware that something is missing, but you heard the word of God and you know that you should be at the gathering. So the whole idea is you need our product, and I'm going to tell you why you need our product and as soon as you think you don't need our product, we've got to invent some difficulty in your life that only Jesus can overcome. Some people simply just never think in those terms. Miracles are not a normal part of your life, then you are missing something. You're saying, well, Randy, that's kind of discouraging. You're right, it is. If you spent the last 20 years being a saved, if you spent the last 20 years being a Christian, if you spent the last 10 years, the last 5 years walking with God and miracles are not a normal part of your life, that is discouraging. But let me share with you some good news. And the good news is found in this truth. And the truth is this. Easter reminds us that God is still in the miracle working business. Easter is a yearly reminder that God is still in the miracle working business. Now this gets back to your point, Pastor Boyle. It's a yearly reminder. Mm -hmm. You just got through saying, actually, in the Lutheran Church, it's a weekly reminder, if not daily reminder. But in the American Evangelical Church, that doesn't operate by, well, they have their own church year, I should say. They don't operate by the historic church year. Easter, as soon as it comes around, it's in the rearview mirror. If these miracles, which he's not yet defined, so, so we'll, we'll hold that a bay right now, but maybe the miracle that he's still working is the resurrection of the flesh. No. No, I, I hate to disappoint. <laughs> that would be a good Easter miracle, Absolutely, would it not? Absolutely, it would. Actually, this has to do with church growth. The miracle is seeing more people at church. I'm just letting the cat out of the bag here. We see it in 1 Peter 1.3. He says, let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because of his great mercy, he gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a living hope. What's he saying there? He's saying Easter, what God raising Jesus Christ from death, Easter is Father God's way of restoring hope in a miraculous life. Easter is Father God's way to renew your faith in your miracle-working God. You see, the problem is not with God. God can't help but do miracles. That's who he is. He is an awesome and great and amazing God. What happens, though, is our faith grows cold. Our faith dims. Maybe God doesn't do what we think he should do at the time he should, we think he should do it. And so our faith grows cold, our faith grows dim, and we stop believing in a miracle-working God, and we go out and we get some God of our imagination that gives us what we need, nothing more, nothing left. The God of our imagination that helps us just scrape by, that yes, all I'm supposed to have is 10 cents in my bank account at the end of each month. That same, you, We've come up with this God of our imagination that does not do miracles 
on our behalf, that we live gray, bland, boring lives. And Easter comes around once a year to remind us that, hey, guess what? Your whole faith was founded on the mindset, on the idea, on the reality that God is a miracle-working God. Couldn't tell if it was an idea or a reality there. Yeah, is it, is it an idea or is it a reality on which our faith is based? I choose reality. <laughs> <laughs> but you can clearly see how a message like this, just like uh, from the, the previous guy, you know, you're just living a bland what do you say? Dull, boring life when you should be experiencing your best life now. There you go. Well, you know, it's interesting. Our Lord did visit his hometown, and the scriptures say, the gospel says, that because of their lack of faith, he could not work any great miracles there, but he healed a few sick and laid his hands on a few. So you have this idea, well, look, see, their faith did prevent him from doing these things. But what was their faith? It's the same faith of the people of, of John 6 that wanted to make him king because he filled their bellies. He rejects that as the reason he is doing what he's doing. The faith of the Christian and the miracle that is constant is that even though I die, yet shall I live. And whoever lives and believes in Christ will never die. It's the resurrection is the miracle. And all other miracles point to that. Otherwise, they're just Simon the Magician. That's why my prayer for Freedom Family Church for the last five years has been Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. He says, I also pray that you, talking to the church, he's talking to us, I also pray that Freedom Family Church will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. What's he saying there? He's saying that the power that was available, that was present, that was a real, that first Easter is available to us. But what happens? Why don't we get to access it? Why don't we get to live in it? Why is that not a normal part of our life? Why? Because we fail to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. Maybe the reason why you haven't experienced miracles in your life is you've never believed. Oh, you've said words. You know, some of the saddest people that God has shown me lately are people who are trying their best to live the Christian life in their own strength, in their own power. And just when I start to feel so sorry for them, God reminds me that the only reason a person would ever try to live the Christian life in their own strength, in their own power, is pride. God is coming to some of you right now and saying, you know what, you know why you have no miracles? Because I'm not going to do miracles for a prideful person. That's awful. <laughs> it is awful. It's, it's a genie. <laughs> the only reason I'm not going to perform magical acts for you is because you didn't rub the lamp correctly. You're trying to create your own miracles. And God's like, no. And so, but if we believe in him, then the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us. And so let me be clear. I usually don't like to do stuff like this. Why? I don't like to risk public embarrassment. I don't like risk being publicly wrong. But let me make this as clear as I know how to make it. I believe that God wants to do amazing miracles in and through Freedom Family Church during Easter 2022. All right, so he's now he's getting to the miracle that he's looking to see and praying for and hoping for. We, we've not yet made fun of the name of his church. 
which which I think is a gross oversight. <laughs> Freedom Family Church. Yeah. 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 Where's that in the Bible? On that note, a question arose in my mind that not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, our Lord says. When is it safe to say this is a different religion? When is it safe to say that this is not the same spirit of the apostles, the spirit of Christ, but it's a spirit of the, the modern American, well, it's not modern, but the American dream, the, mo- the most recent realization of this false religion is the American dream, that if we do things, if we sacrifice things to the God, he will bless us. Now, this is just paganism. To have a little house God that you put a couple of coins next to or some food or something and make a sacrifice, and therefore this God will then bless you. That is so interesting you say that. Uh, when we first started The Plucked Chicken years ago, Pastor Bruss and I were doing a podcast, and I can't remember which one it was, but uh, as we were talking through it and listening to the sermon, that is the question that I asked him. Are these people, are they even Christian? And the conclusion was exactly what you just said, Pastor Lovett. Pastor Bruss just said, no, this is a heresy. Yeah, it is. Preached by heretics, and whether they know it or not. Right, and whether, whether or not even they believe. So we don't, we don't want to judge the faith of an individual in terms of that person believing that Jesus is risen. But they are certainly false teachers, and that will be judged. Yes, in the resurrection of all flesh, these guys are certainly going to have some splaining to do, and hopefully some repenting. Although maybe at that moment they can work a miracle oh, and not have any splaining to do, but just enter the, the kingdom of heaven on their own I volition. I firmly believe, I am convinced, I am so convinced that I was planning another sermon series. I had another sermon series in mind. But this week as I was praying Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 for you, that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for you to believe, God said to me, Randy, there is miracles that I want to accomplish. There are things that I want to do that defy imagination. Randy, I want to do amazing miracles in Freedom Family Church, but I also want to do amazing miracles through Freedom Family Church. So you see, miracles are not just for us while we do get to enjoy them. All the miracles that God wants to do in us is for other people as well. Now again, I haven't heard the Easter sermon or what took place on Easter just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, boy, I'm really interested in finding out because here's what he's going to say. And I'm firmly convinced, I believe with all my heart, that over the next weeks and months, that God wants to do amazing miracles in us and through us. You see, I believe Ephesians 3.20. It says, God is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. You want to know why that verse is so important to me? Because, man, I can ask for some big stuff. You do realize I never, I never intended for Freedom Family Church to be running 150 to 200 after 15 years. When we started this church in December 2008, my heart's cry, my faith, my belief is that thousands of people would come to Christ because of this church. 
And I still haven't given up hope. Even though week in and week out, discouragement comes. Things say the opposite. I'm firmly convinced that God wants to do miracles in us. And God wants to do miracles through us. You're saying, well, Randy, you're saying Easter is going to be a miracle working time. What do we do between now and then? How do we wait for our miracle? How do we wait for our miracles? Well, read with me, if you would, Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 35. Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 35. We're going to read about how Jesus feeds the 5,000. By the way, this story is so important. Do you realize this in all four Gospels? It's like... God was like, let me make All right, we're not going to listen to him go on and on about that because what he's doing is he's priming the pump, really, for the people to go out and start knocking on doors and inviting people and all of that so that they can see thousands and thousands of people so this pastor, who is clearly a theologian of glory, can uh, go home and be satisfied by the number of people who came to church. Because he's disappointed when two <laughs> or three gather together in my name. Yeah, because that's, that's not the miracle. The miracle is what you can see. So then uh, let's pretend that it works and that he gets thousands of people on, on Easter Sunday. Sure. Was it the miracle or was it because people worked? How would he answer that? And, and what can we do to prepare for these miracles or to see them? What, what, what do we need to do to see them? And how do we avoid messing a miracle up? This is just so far beyond the pale of Orthodox Christianity that it's almost impossible to critique in light of the faith except to simply say it's dead wrong. So would you say as in regard to an Easter sermon, is he hitting the mark here or is he totally off the mark? I, well, he's totally off the, the true mark of Christ. The arrow has flown far from the target he might be on his target, <laughs> but he has not hit the target that God aims at. Well, we'll stop it right there with him. And I've got another guy who actually preached this past Easter. And we'll see if, going back to Pastor Lovett's comment, we'll see if he hits the mark or if he misses it. Declaring that they still had life to live. They were saved by the bell. That's a great TV show. So I was sitting in a hotel swimming pool on the, on the steps to walk into it. Don't picture it. I'm, I'm not trying to cause anyone to lust. Uh, my wife, uh, Jen, she was standing next to me, uh, sitting on the stairs. And we're the only ones in the pool when this family showed up. They, they got in the other end of the pool. It was a mom and dad, probably early 30s, son, around six years old. So they're uh, on the other side of the pool. The kids having fun, splashing around. And, and then mom announces, she says, guys, guys, watch this. And she walks right to the edge of the pool and, uh, and she turns to her husband and her son and she says, guys, I have still got it. Do you believe I still got it? Yes, mommy. Sure, sure, honey, you still got it. No, 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 I'm serious. I still got it. You time me and we'll see. You'll see. I still got it. And then she gives one last, I still got it. And then she counts down. Three, two, one. And she just starts swimming as fast as she can. The problem is that she's not swimming in a straight line. She's swimming kind of diagonal and she's coming straight for us. And she's getting 
closer and closer and closer. My, my wife, Jen, she, she kind of stepped to the side to get out of the way, but I'm just sitting there and she's coming at me like a torpedo. And I keep thinking, well, she's gonna look up and see what's happening or she's just gonna veer off to the middle, but nope. And, and so she's right up to me and she, she does this, she reaches and her hand goes, and I'm like, whoa. And so I jumped up and her hand hits the step and she stops and she looks up and she sees me kind of standing above her and her eyes get all big. And my wife says, you still got it. <laughs> oh, so funny. But in another sense, it's not because this is so sad. She had. This is so sad. Well, this is the setup. You got to let him set it up. I get that. I think we all do. Because I think we're all afraid we don't. We don't still got it. Like somewhere along the line in life, we lost it. We lost something. And we're not getting it back. Yeah, like, you know, like my receding hairline. Or you know, those last three minutes. <laughs> How about our eyesight? I mean, there's all kinds of things that, that we're losing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it tells us that it's okay we're losing these things. It's all right. That man loves to relive that story in his head. <laughs> if it's even true. I, I thought what, what she was going to hit was something else. I She's thought, standing who the up. hell swims in hotel pools? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kids, sure, but come on. You know what I mean? Maybe things started great, but somehow we, we went in the wrong direction. We, we ruined it. We lost it. it. It might be that you used to feel like you had a future, but you don't still got it. Or you used to have hope, but you don't still got it. Your marriage used to feel special, but the, the two of you, you don't still got it. This goes back to your point about trying to hit everybody, everything, just to, to build and make the point. And you are, uh, you're excited for your career or, or for your kids, but not so much anymore. Maybe you had a spiritual life, vitality, a relationship with God, but some, somewhere you kind of lost it. Or you used to win all your dance battles at work, you don't you don't still got it and and you wonder can you get it back it, honestly it doesn't feel like it but can you overcome what can you overcome the answer comes with Easter you may know what happened on Easter that, that Jesus was crucified on Friday but then on Sunday morning he's alive Jesus walked out of the grave alive he defeated death you may know that, but you may not know what happened just before and after Easter, specifically with Judas and Peter. Okay, so now the first sermon that we heard, the, the contrast was between the Friday Christian and the Sunday Christian, the women and the disciples, and now we get, uh, what, this uh, Judas and Peter contrast. Let me guess. Judas had it, lost it, didn't get it. Peter had it, lost it, and got it back. Golly, just amazing. 
How many examples will he give in the interim? That's the real question. Two of Jesus' good friends. They had spent three years with him, apprenticing with him, being taught and trained to do ministry, uh, sharing Netflix accounts, all of it. But in the, the last few days, they both had their lowest moment. Judas betrayed Jesus by leading uh, the people who wanted to arrest him to him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, Peter betrayed Jesus by denying three times that he knew him in Jesus' greatest moment of need. They both feel horrible. I mean, all Jesus did was, was, was choose them, love them, give them purpose and adventure, and this is what they do in return. I didn't, I'd never heard that before. Jesus gave them purpose and adventure. What a guy. I've got nothing. This guy's a mess. They both feel horrible. When they think about what they've done, uh, the Bible says, Peter wept bitterly. And it says, Judas was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. And you, you read what they did, how they responded, and it's like, they're done, right? Maybe things started great for them, but they ruined it. They lost it. They don't still got it. Oh, like the woman. And I, in this I think we can pool. all relate to that. She We've all it. had moments when we felt like we ruined it. Can you remember when you felt like you had maybe thrown away a friendship or an opportunity because of a moment of selfishness or fear? So what happens uh, with Judas and Peter? Uh, we learn in Matthew 27, verse 5, Judas went away and hanged himself. And Peter became the person Jesus chose to lead his church. Huh? Yep. Let's look at when it happens. It's in the book of John, chapter 21. We'll start in verses 1 through 4. It says uh, several of the disciples, those were Jesus' friends, his apprentices. Um, several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. Remember, this is after Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, okay? Let's continue in the story. Uh, it says, he called out, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, uh, said to Peter, it's the Lord. But when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. And it says, um, this was the third time 
Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Peter. Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Well, you might, um, you might wonder, what is Jesus talking about with, uh, with this, feed my sheep? Well, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. Uh, people who say yes to him are his sheep. He, he promises to, to love them, to lead them, to care for them. And, and when Jesus says, feed my sheep, he is giving Peter leadership. He's saying, I want you to love, to lead, to care for my people. What you got, Pastor Lovett? Well, it, it just the denial of an episcopate in the evangelical church in America that Peter is now being given a position of leadership. Of course, Peter's name is Cephas, which means head, perhaps head of the church. But again, if you take the scriptures in that light, according to this sort of theology, you would be wrong. You'd be Roman Catholic. You'd be stuck in some sort of medieval dogma. Well, he did say that Peter is the head of the church, didn't he? This preacher? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm just wondering if um, someone pointed that out to him, what he might say. Yeah, like if someone said, oh, so Peter's the first pope. Yeah, right. Oh, well, no, he's not the pope. No. He's just um, he's just a leader. He's, he's appointed to leadership. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a total side eyebrow raise. Why does out. Jesus ask if Peter loves him three times? Well, how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. And so Jesus asked three times, and then three times says, feed my sheep. It is unbelievable and unconditional love. Jesus is letting Peter know. You have not sinned too much. You haven't gone too far. You still have my love. You still have a place with me. You still have a future. Peter, you've still got it. <laughs> he would say the same to you. Wait, no matter so, who you Pause. So rather than saying that Jesus has now restored Peter or raised him from the dead, or given him something that he didn't have anymore because he had lost it, he's simply saying, you've still got it within you. You, you still have something, some spark, some, some joy, some, something that obviously Judas doesn't have, but you've still got it, as opposed to a re- ordering in a renewal of this to Peter, which he had lost. There's nothing new that comes in Christ in his resurrection. There is simply, you've still got it. You don't need me. The old remains 
and there is nothing new to come. That's this theology. Not the old is gone and the new has come. But no, you've still got it. Isn't that a line from The Three Amigos by Martin Short? You've still got it. Who you are, no matter what you've done, it would say, you still have my love. You still have a place with me. You still have a future. You've still got it because of God, because of his love. And when you don't still got it, God still got you. Mm. Does that work for Judas? Also, it doesn't flow at all from what he's saying. Right. This was his own desire to simply fix his problem in preaching. His problem is, is that some people don't have it. But if you, if you want it still and you think you might have it, don't worry, God has you. But again, to Father Jeff's point, did this work for Judas or Saul? You know, we, uh, we worry about whether God still loves us, whether uh, Jesus still accepts us. But that's not the issue. Yes, he still does. The issue is, what will we do? Because God still loved Judas. Jesus would have accepted Judas, forgiven him, but that didn't happen. Not because of Jesus, because of Judas. You just want to remind everybody that this is his Easter message. Well, thanks for saving the best to last. Actually, it makes me wonder, what was different about Peter? I mean, they both betrayed Jesus. Judas gives up on himself, commits suicide. Peter ends up being restored and made the leader of the church. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? Let me suggest three things. And I think these are the three key things for us, to, to us not giving up on ourselves, to us being restored, changing our future, making a difference. So pay attention. First, Peter stayed in the group. Peter stayed in the group. Did did you notice it said Judas went away and hanged himself? He, He went away all by himself. All by yourself is not a good place to be. But with Peter, it said several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Peter stayed in the group. He didn't isolate himself. So where do you think he's going with this? I don't know, but I've got to say that might actually be the best point of all these preachers. I just uh, tongue-in-cheek said thanks for saving the best till last, but that actually is perhaps a, a good and profound point. Not the way... He's most likely going with it as an individualistic stay with everyone. But the idea of the church of Christ being the ark of salvation and that we stay within the church. So a little bit of redemption for him in that first point. And if you feel like you don't still got it, but you want it back. He just lost it. Don't isolate yourself. Stay in the group. If you don't have a group, get in a group. Get in a group. Not in a group er that, that would just be weird. <laughs> this is uh, one reason I love this church. I mean, yes, you find Jesus here, but you also find friends. What? Uh, and what? that is entirely possible, even if you live far away from Las Vegas, because of the way we have structured online church. You find friends to do life with, friends who are not perfect. And we, we say, no perfect people allowed. 
But man, it is healing to surround yourself with people who need grace too. It is empowering to surround yourself with people who support you. Peter stayed in a group. We need a group. Second, Peter dove in and swam toward Jesus. And when, when Jesus shouts from the shore and, and provides this miraculous catch of fish, Peter dives in and starts swimming to Jesus as fast as he can. He, he was like, guys, watch this. I still got it. Time me. Watch this. And, and he, he, he just dives in. I, I wonder, he's swimming. There's six guys rowing the boat. Is it possible the boat went right past him and he's like, I made a bad choice. I don't know. But I love, he just, he jumped in. And I think he was saying, man, I am sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. I am ready to let go of my failures. I want a second chance. And Jesus gives those. I am ready to leave my past behind and swim to Jesus. You think that's what John was thinking? Well, it's interesting that uh, he uses this as an example, but in the Gospels it says, and they all left him. So what about those who didn't jump in? Are they somehow not repentant? Are they not wanting this as bad as Peter? They this, must be Friday Christians. This is the problem with the theology that everything in Scripture is just an example for your life. It actually ignores the text. It just takes like Aesop's fables out of the text and tries to apply it to your own emotive state. Right. And just like the first point was get involved in a small group, even if you happen to need a small group online, we've got that available because, yes, Jesus is here, but so are friends. Now it becomes jumping in and swimming to Jesus and all of that. What about John, who recognized that it was the Lord first? Does he not count for anything? Is he not good because he didn't jump in? Or when he got to the tomb first and realized what it was, but he waited for Peter to go in? Is he a lesser disciple? Yeah, he's a Friday Christian. And so he dove, swam in, and found himself looking into the eyes of Jesus looking into the eyes of the one who loves with unconditional love and is always ready to give grace, looking into the eyes of the one whose feet and hands still bore reminders of the spikes that had held him to a Roman cross, looking into the eyes of the one who died as a substitute for his sin and failure. And he looked into Jesus' eyes, and there was hope. And I want you to know, if you are sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, if you're ready to let go of your failures and get a second chance, to, to leave your past behind, dive in and swim towards Jesus. And you can, because even if you don't still got it, God still got you. Mm. The God of the second chance. What about the third chance and the fourth and the fifth? Well, there's nothing wrong with encouraging people. And there's nothing wrong with trying to bolster people up beyond their immediate despondency. Coaches do this to a team that's maybe losing. It's just not the point of Scripture, and it's not the Christian faith. 
That's that's where these guys missed the mark. So as far as an Easter sermon, you you're giving it thumbs up or thumbs down? I mean, I can't really tell. No, this guy is so <laughs> terrible. <laughs> it, that not even is his audience, and I'll call them an audience. Yeah, because clapping. well, just to let you know, they're still online church. They're well, not I, even meeting in person. I have to say that actually is a little bit redemptive, redemptive of him because when he makes his jokes, very ill-timed jokes, at least now I know why there's not sort of background laughter or clapping or something. I was wondering about that. Yeah, but you would think with the high production cost and value of what is here, you'd think they'd put in a laugh track like on Andy Griffith or something. Sure. We could probably do that. Hold on a second. No, hold on. <laughs> no. Figure out your buttons. That is the guy's sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, I got it. Hold on. No. <laughs> That's the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, here it is. Here it is. I mean, could couldn't we put that in there? You got a lot of editing to do. Yeah, really. <laughs> I don't know how you listen to these guys, Devin. This is so difficult. All right, here he goes. He's going to finish out. Hold on. What would that mean for you? Like, for, for you to, to dive in and swim towards Jesus, what, what would it look like? Well, if you're new to all this, it might just mean coming back. You might have showed up today just because it's Easter. No, no plan to come again. I'll, I'll check this out once. But maybe you should. There's a lot of people watching today whose lives were changed because they decided to come back. They, they only planned to come at once. But they went, all right, I'm, I'm going to try it again. They, they came back, and they got to know Jesus here at Verve, and, and everything changed. And you could do that. We're, we're starting this new series today. Maybe just commit to coming for this series, you know. We'll see after the series, but I'll come for the series. Or uh, another option, if you maybe you're a little bit more ready to dive in than that, you could go to Discover. Uh, Discover is a four-week group experience um, where we look at uh, what Christians believe, why Christians believe what they believe, like, like the evidence for our faith. Uh, how to start a relationship with God, how to grow in your relationship with God. It is a great little course. It's, it's easy. It's easy, but it could change your life. And if you're interested, uh, you can find out more or you could sign up at verve.cc. Okay, enough with the advertisements. When is what is easy good? Normally, in the Christian life, for that matter, in all of life, what is difficult is actually what is good. So you're saying when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me, I mean, that yeah. doesn't sound very easy. No, it's not. The Christian Dying life to is yourself not easy. doesn't sound very easy. No. This, this is tedious. Three key differences between Peter and Judas that can be key differences for us that can help us not give up, help us to be restored, change our future. Peter stayed with the group. Yep. Peter dove in and swam toward Jesus. Yep. And third, Peter lived his life in light of the resurrection. Do you know when Judas gave up and committed suicide? 
Yes, I do, actually. It's when he went to the religious leaders. I mean, he's already confessed that he sinned. It's when he went to the religious leaders seeking absolution for his sin and did not find it with the religious leaders. Uh, Markedly, they said, see to it yourself. Right. Which is what all of these guys have been saying. You can choose to wake up and have a good or a bad day. You can choose to dive in and follow Jesus. See to it yourself. And you can belong to a group, and that might help you along, but like on some sort of sport that is a sole player, like tennis or swim, you've got to see to it yourself. Every one of these sermons are damning because they throw you back upon yourself. And this is on Easter for crying out loud. So Judas didn't get the absolution that he was seeking for. And thus he did take matters into his own hands, didn't he? Right. I I don't think there's anything else, Devin. <laughs> this is this is so bad. I this your this podcast is going to peter out. Is something else to say? Do you know when Peter was restored and given new life after the resurrection? Earlier I said, uh, you might feel like you don't still got it, and, and you're wondering if you could get it back. It doesn't feel like it, but can you overcome? What can you overcome? See to it yourself. Everything. Easter says everything. Jesus overcame our greatest enemy, death. And if we can overcome death through Jesus, we can overcome anything through Jesus. The first part of that statement was spot on. I mean, why can't he stay right there? That through Jesus' death and resurrection, he overcame our enemies, namely sin, death, and the devil. But no, we've got to, that's not good enough. We've got to expand it out further than that in dealing with all the other things we've heard of, you know, rebellious kids, uh, a dull marriage, a, a lifeless purpose. It's answered in Israel, ancient Israel, that when God led them out of Egypt, the land of slavery, he did so by a miraculous washing of new birth in the Red Sea. And they immediately said, but what about the meat pots and the cucumbers and the things that we really enjoy in this life? That's the whole point of all of these messages, is that this life is the life you have. So if you want it to be really good, you need to sacrifice to your house God, and he's going to bless you. This is paganism. Okay, so we started out listening to a political commentator, which, you know, we don't even count, but uh, I've made you listen to three sermons. I mean, how would you sum up? uh, Well, I guess the best way we could sum it up is... Is that how you'd sum it up? It is how I would sum it up. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is this is a call for a return to the church where the preaching of the resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus. And what goes for him goes for all of those that are baptized into him. And if only we could hear a little bit about the hope of the resurrection— and what that means as far as who we are even in the face of our sufferings, our struggles, our, 
despondency. Well, let us hear it now, Pastor. Well, this this is it, that in Christ we do rise again. And that happens to take place through the waters that flow from his side, that are there in the font, that are ours in our baptism. You know, one of the things I was thinking about as I was actually driving down here is how you go through some of these older cemeteries. I don't necessarily think it happens today just because the expense is so much, but you'll see some headstones that are actually obelisks. And you go up and look at these obelisks, and there's obviously the Masonic symbol upon them. And this is a, this is really a statement. It's a confession of the person who died that he will rise again. I mean, this is what the obelisk refers to within masonry. And I just think, you have believed a lie, even at the point of your death. I mean, yeah, you'll rise again, but not the way that you think, because you have believed in the God of masonry as opposed to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, I would say the greatest failure of these sermons, including the political commentary that you made us listen to, the greatest failure of these sermons is that they do not preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. They preach a man suffered, he overcame, and you can too. That's right. It's not the Christian message, and it's not the Christian church. So someone who stumbled upon the plucked chicken and listened to these horrible sermons and listen to our commentary, what would you suggest they do? Go go to a church that preaches the resurrection of the flesh. Cling to the creed that confesses Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Receive the body and blood and join in this great festal gathering. This This is not it, these sermons. We, we need something more. It does also speak to the idolatry of uh, homiletics, that the sermon is the thing that um, makes us Christian instead of the participation in the body of Christ. Uh, sermons are good, sermons are bad in the Lutheran church as well, but what makes us Christian is as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, we are one body because we participate in the one bread. That sermons are not the thing that make us Christian. What makes us Christian is the miracles of God in the mysteries, the blessed sacraments. Seek that, and you'll be seeking the kingdom of heaven. And all preaching, Luther says at its best, is setting up the very body of Christ for his people. It is an encounter with the Mass. And that's where it needs to end, in the body and blood of Jesus. Well, the good news is, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Well, that wraps it up for this Easter look at some really, really bad sermons. I hope you have enjoyed. I know you two have not enjoyed. You know, this is kind of the joy that I have in bringing you these bad sermons. I mean, I wish we had a videotape uh, to, to actually watch your responses uh, because your, your, your face and your gestures do more than what you say, for crying out loud. 
You don't want to videotape. But it, this is my spiritual gift to, to annoy uh, Lutheran <laughs> pastors. And uh, you have succeeded. You excel. <laughs> far beyond your wildest dreams. Well, until next time. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruns. If you'd like to support the work they do, go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken. Well, the good news is, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Indeed. He is, he is risen good. indeed. Hallelujah. Okay, do better on yeah, that one. Yeah, what orthodox That is the orthodox. Do that again. I don't have to do my part again. You yes, do your you. part again.